0: Hey, welcome to the green room for Disrupt TV. We're talking about the trials and tribulations of trial lawyers in South Carolina. Just kidding. We're not going to talk about that either. <laughs> Things that we will not talk about on Disrupt TV today. Um, we're here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar, our producer, Elle, and more importantly, our wonderful guests. We're going to go in reverse order. Introduce yourselves. Tell us where you're coming in from, and more importantly, what you're going to talk about today real quickly. So, Gabriella, all are yours?
1: Great. I'm Gabriella Rosen-Kellerman calling in from Berkeley, California. And I'm here to talk about my new book, Tomorrow Mind, co-authored with Professor Marty Seligman. It is all about our original scientific research on how to thrive at work in the midst of tremendous uncertainty.
0: That would never happen. What are you talking about now? Perfect book, perfect time. All right, Lee, on your end.
2: Hey, what are I'm Lee Rainey, uh, Director of uh, Internet and Technology Research at the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C., We recently completed a piece of work uh, talking to experts about the future of human agency and human autonomy. One of the small questions of our age.
0: Yeah, keep it simple, Lee. Now, some of the best uh, internet research in the world, and I really appreciate you uh, coming in from Northern Virginia, right? So, all right, cool. Oh, Jonathan, where are you coming from, Dr. Eigenthal?
3: I, hey, hey, Ray and Val and everyone else. I am coming in from the great capital city of Wellington in New Zealand. Here Ooh. you see me in my hotel room. I know it's crazy. It's early what morning. Time is it? <laughs> I am a day ahead. I'm 21 hours ahead of uh, you guys in, in in California, at least. And uh, I'm on the show to talk about my brand new book about cryptocurrency. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about that.
0: Ooh, hot topics, hot stuff. All right, we'll turn it back to you, L you can do the count and we're going to go live soon
3: all right three two one
4: Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. He's a regular television business and tech news contributor on Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, Fox Business, CNBC, you name it. In my humble opinion, he's also one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to the Shrup TV.
0: Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Ashtar, the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce, as he mentioned, but he's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence and maybe writing a new book. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets, and even when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, well, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But more importantly, it's not about that. It's about our amazing guests, and we say this every week, and we truly mean that. Who do we have to kick it off today?
4: One of our favorite and also author uh, and thought leader, our our first guest is Dr. Jonathan Rokintal, founder, professor, and author of a new book, Cryptocurrency Quick Start Guide. I have all his books, but this is his last book. I don't have the newest one yet. So Dr. Rokintal, I apologize. But he's a multiple award-winning technology and business leader whose career has spanned both the private and public sector. Dr. Reichertal served as the Chief Information Officer of both O'Reilly Media and City of Palo Alto, California. Dr. Reichertal is currently the founder of advisory investment and education firm Human Future, and also creates online education for LinkedIn Learning. Dr. Reikenthal has written five books. It's hard to keep up with Dr. Yeah, I know. He keeps it's pumping good. out books. He's written about smart cities. He's written uh, incredible books for kids to learn about smart cities and, and 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 bedtime rhymes and, of course, data governance. Any executive that is looking to learn about data governance is the book that I recommend. It's a fantastic great. follow on Twitter. Talk about an early adopter at Reichenthal uh, I couldn't get at Vala and Ray couldn't get at Ray Wong. So anyway, you have to add a zero at the end. Welcome back, Dr. Raikental to Disrupt TV.
3: Thanks so much. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to be back. And uh, I hope we have a great connection. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm crossing my fingers here, but uh, thrilled to be back and talk about this new book.
0: Well, thank you for joining us on Saturday yes uh, thank you for joining us uh look you write a lot of books and i think the question we should ask first is like why did you even write this book right i mean it, it, you have to choose you have to think of topics you have to pick it up and why do you feel it was so important that you had to write this book now
3: yeah a lot of the time i'm invited to write books so you know it's a, it's a great privilege that I have that uh, people come to me, the publishers come to me and say, Hey, Jonathan, would you consider uh, writing a book about this? Uh, this particular publisher, Clydebank media, you know, based out of the uh, New York and New Jersey, they uh, they do these quick start guides and they were looking at the market uh, in terms of what are people looking for? What are they demanding? Um, their field is, you know, they're, they're strong on uh, things around financial, um skills and things like trading and, and 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 working the stock market you know that type of thing um so they saw in their research a, a lot of demand for this topic and they wanted to fill it with a, with a really good book on my side i um i was lucky enough to be asked by linkedin learning uh coming out about six or seven years ago to develop some video courses on blockchain and then crypto and and in in a wild way uh over a million students uh responded to my courses on on crypto and blockchain so uh I think I have a pretty strong voice on the topic globally uh and you know these courses continue to be very very popular I teach at a number of universities the topic but I think the bottom line is this is a really fascinating topic no matter where you stand if you hate it or you love it or you're in the middle uh Uh you know it's an emotional topic for some reason and i wanted to i wanted to i the way i said it to my publisher is i wanted to tell sort of a point in time story about what is cryptocurrency right now and where might it be going and so i I think i've done that 316 pages of the story of crypto to date
4: that's amazing so so six or seven years ago so 2016 17 uh, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin probably trading at 3,000 at that time. I'm not sure. Uh, and Ethereum probably at 100 or 200. Uh, so you have watched, and I'm mentioning the two largest market cap, and, you know, there's, there's hundreds, uh, multiple hundreds of, of uh, currencies, tokens, uh, coins. Um, but those two at one point reached almost 70,000, 69,7, I think, was for Bitcoin, and 4,900 for Ethereum. Uh, Uh, What do you cover in this book? I know you cover Bitcoin and you talk about, and you also cover obviously currencies. Uh, First part of my question is, when you started writing about this seven years ago, and we're talking super early adopter, did it uh, interest you enough to actually invest in crypto? And what do you actually cover in the book?
0: Maybe that's why he's (laughs) in (laughs) Wellington.
3: Well, um, yeah, I mean, when when I first started writing about it and, and making these videos, uh, it was very much about the mechanics, like yeah. how on earth does it blockchain, work?
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, right. A lot, a lot about blockchain, and fundamentally, at that time, you know, uh, crypto was the, was the greatest manifestation of blockchain. Blockchain has gone on to be independently interesting. Yes. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot, of, a lot about that. I, I was, I'm, I haven't been a big participant myself. No, um, I um, have a little bit of, of, of each of those and a couple of others. You, you say hundreds. There's actually over 20,000 uh, cryptocurrencies uh, circulating today. So, oh. it, yeah, uh, it's a long tail. You know, there's yeah, Bitcoin yeah, sure. and Ethereum uh, are 60% of the entire market. You know, Bitcoin is 40%, Ethereum 20. The rest is the is 40%. So, the, you know, they make up a little amount. Uh, so what do I cover in the book? Uh, everything. This, look, I, I'm going to go into my marketing mode a little bit now, yeah, which is, sure. you know, people uh, want to understand this, you know, everybody's like, I I don't understand how it can have value. You know, I I don't understand uh, why people buy it or, you know, trade it. And so I want to tell you just what it is, how it works, uh, its uses and where it might be going. So it's pretty much, I call it sort of the past, present and future Hmm. of money, uh, digital money in particular. Um, And so it's very thorough on, the mechanics how does it work it's very thorough on trading and options it's we go into the history of Bitcoin the history of Ethereum but I also talk about a lot of the popular altcoins, which are the other coins uh like Cardano and Solano and some others sure um and then we talk about DeFi you know decentralized finance this is incredible very disruptive to the existing financial system I talk about nfts which I've written about a, a lot um But I want to say one important point here is this is not an advocacy book. So I'm not actually pushing or selling this concept. I'm an educator, so I'm actually telling you about it. I'm informing you of kind of telling you the story. So um, you won't find when you pick it up that this is some sort of like, you know, I'm this big champion of crypto and you have to buy, it. you have to be involved, Mm -hmm. because that would turn off a lot of people who maybe are skeptical. This Mm -hmm. is a book for everyone to sort of tell you, what is this thing and, and should you care? And and at the very end I say, you know, make up your own mind.
0: I think that was the most important part. You were kind of presenting this as it was, right? And here's where we are in the point of time. And you hadn't taken a policy position at all in this so yeah. um, or, or, or an implication of what it would mean, for example, to the US dollar or what it would mean for trade around the world or what it would mean about you know access for folks that you know, didn't have access to banking services. So, so it was interesting. Um, so what surprised you the most, though, when, when writing the book as you're discovering these stories around crypto and how people got to where they were? Because uh, there's some very cool stuff in here. Yeah. yeah were, you,
4: were you able to identify the inventor, uh, Satoshi? Yeah. <laughs> you, did you meet
0: Satoshi and not tell us? Yeah. <laughs> I, Wait, I is that finally... why you're in New Zealand again? Sorry. <laughs>
3: why am I in New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's... A, I was thinking he's, that. He's close to finding Satoshi. Breaking news.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. My new book is The Search for Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, that's wow. right. Oh, that's people are paying a lot not-
0: for that one. That's a good book to go <laughs>
3: um unfortunately no i while we did a bit of research my team and i we we, we still didn't make any conclusions about the uh uh you know the uh, who it is and that you know in a way i talk about the sort of that adds the mystique you know it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing that we don't know who created this you know really yeah and we by the way uh, you might think it's a person it certainly could be a group of people yeah. uh so you know could it be a could be in a global collaborative we, we don't really know there's a few things that surprised me i think Uh, First of all, this is a very, for whatever reason, it's quite a controversial topic. You know, you have people who, when they take a position, can often be really on the two ends, right? You have people who think it's absolute nonsense. It's a Ponzi scheme. uh, People shouldn't be involved. Get out of there, you know. And then you. And, and these years.
4: aren't just any people. These are like right. Charlie Munger. These are like you know yeah, exactly. They're they're like irritated. It's almost like they get a skin rash when the topic comes up. So it's these true. are incredibly well, uh, incredibly accomplished people. So it's not just any people. It's 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 amazing how uh, the spectrum includes some titans of the industry when it comes to investing.
3: That's a great point, Vala. such a great point. Uh, and th- yeah, that really elevates it in terms of like the, the sensitivity to the topic.
1: And then you've got on the
3: other side, you've got people who are, they, they think this is the future of money. This is it. This is going to completely change the game, change who can participate, uh, be a major disruptor. So you got, you got, that was interesting to me as I kind of explored that.
4: And those um, are people like our guest Michael Saylor, who was on the show when he crossed 125,000 ownership of Bitcoin. Wow. I don't know. I, I think at that time he had invested four and a half, five billion dollars in Bitcoin. Wow. So that's the, t- the you know you got a rocket scientist, MIT graduate, and times wow. of the industry going head to head. So it, it's it's fascinating to me. I don't know any other technology, including AI, that has such a polarizing set of experts uh, dunking on each other <laughs> anyway yeah yeah <laughs> uh,
3: which makes it so, it just adds to the yeah the the, the one of the, the the magic of the topic and I wanted you know I wanted to tell that story in in, in all with all its warts and all you know the, the 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 kind of cool stuff about it but also the the incredible risks oh. that are are part of it I'm very realistic you know about it I'm very I'm a pragmatist you know the I,
0: most pragmatic um, book on crypto that's out there I, I definitely agree with you. So let's, let's get to some things that people often ask and even advanced folks don't really quite understand. Is crypto money? Is it an investment? Is it a security? Is it a store of value? Like people use these terms all the time. Like, you know, like maybe Val and I have a lot of crypto that we want to tell you about. But, but the point being is like, what is this? I mean, what, what are we putting our money into to get back on the other end?
3: Yeah, I have to say one of the incredible outcomes of writing this book for me was sort of discovering the history of money, and uh, that. By the way, if you want to go down a, a rabbit hole and 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 sort of get really <laughs> uh, completely, uh, you know, uh, enlightened. about do
0: we tulips? Uh, Come on, these tulips are great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> money itself is is a bizarre thing, right? That we that we associate value to something, and and we all trust it. Um, you know, when you think about the paper, the, the Satoshi Nakamoto paper came out in two thousand and eight. You know, and quite a, a, a neat. Uh, you know, it's 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 about nine pages, and yet there's a lot in there, and it sort of changed the world for many people. And it proposes money. It 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 actually fundamentally is an alternative to the global monetary system. What has happened, though, to your point, Ray, which you you make is that hasn't actually come true you, you know bitcoin is not a uh, a money that people use to buy meals or you know plane tickets very often you know on a day-to-day basis like if you've made a lot of money sure you can you can use it uh it, it's used as an investment and, and it's become an investment vehicle people are making money through the growth of the value in in these uh, cryptos um but then you got the the, the, the broader token community, which uh, uh, which allows us to raise money. You know, you kind of alluded to that a little bit. Uh, becomes a uh, a, a uh, an instrument for uh, raising cash for organizations. Um, and then you get into the whole sort of the tokenize, you know, the tokenization of digital assets. So you 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 have that that non fungible token, right? Which this all gets squirrely really quickly. <laughs> but the ability to sort of uh, record. Um, the legitimacy of a a digital item uh, in a database that people agree on that actually is true so you know uh, it we all agree that if I paint a a physical painting and give it to you uh, and sign it you you agree that's that's an original but we don't have the same um, ability to do that often with digital drawings and and digital items Uh, but now technically we do because we can do digital signatures which is sort of the digital equivalent of the physical signature Mm -hmm. Um, now you start to have you see these sort of you know this, this tokenization this, these these uh records that then can be traded themselves and you know people can make money from the trading of these these tokens uh, so the, the 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 actual field is 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 quite big the question is it money well you know what is money so it w- will somebody tomorrow take my crypto uh for their product or service and the answer is uh, uh yes they there are entities that will do that you know, will somebody tomorrow pay more for the crypto I have than I have today? Possibly um, if they're prepared to do that, we trust the ecosystem, then it's then it's real. I mean, there's, the, you know, it, it works. So whether you kind of are confused about, you know, is there anything backing it behind it? It doesn't really matter. Uh, money works because we say it does. That's the origin mm-hmm. of all money. It, it it just is real, because real, we say this
0: real quick. May 22nd. What's that day about?
3: <laughs> May twenty second, you-
0: May twenty second, Bitcoin Pizza Day.
4: Oh yeah, oh, right. oh, yeah. yeah. He's 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas. Yeah,
0: for two pizzas. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's, it's stored value. It's trade. It's, it's it's someone actually did value exchange, right? So, yeah, regrettably,
4: that was a pretty expensive couple of cheese pizzas. Okay, so 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 you know if you if you're if you're subscribing to Kathy Wood and Ark Invest, oh as they project um, money, store of value, the value of Bitcoin in a decade, if it resembles uh market cap of gold, we're talking potentially a million dollar value. Uh, you know, There's only what, 19 and a half, 20 million that are, in, 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 and I believe some have been lost. So I, I don't know if the original intent, I think was 21 million, but I don't believe 21 million exists today. So, right. so can you talk to us about the future of, of crypto? Do you see, uh, again, it's trading at like twenty-two and change now. And of course, you talk about trust. Last year was terrible in terms of so many bad actors that essentially set the you know brought the Bitcoin to, to as low as sixteen thousand when it was trading in the thirty range. Uh, so, so what are, what are your thoughts about projecting? And I know this is an investment advice, but do you see crypto becoming? You know, I have a twelve-year-old son. By the time he graduates from college, again, ten years at like twenty-two. Is he going to be exchanging, is it, is it fiat or is it more crypto? Is it going to be a uh, Filecoin, Cardona, you know, uh, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Ethereum, handful of uh, the coins that are in the top 10? Uh, will, will, will he be, you know, uh, buying goods and services using crypto?
3: That's a great question. Um well, look, i tell you something just to make it sort of local and real. I'm here in uh, Wellington, New Zealand right now. I'm here for a few weeks uh, as a visiting professor. And New Zealand is one of those countries where they don't really use cash anymore. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it's all cards. Uh, you know, a lot of stores just don't take uh, notes and coins. So they're kind of digital already here. And that's, uh, you know, what the rest of the world will will catch up with. There's, a, there's another phenomena called central bank digital currencies that's emerging, CBDCs. Yep. Uh, which we'll we'll do maybe on another podcast, or you'll, you'll ask another guest to go deep into that. And th- that's basically a digital equivalent of the existing money we have. Hmm. You know, think about this real quick. Um, you know, the money that you have in your bank account, or anybody has, it doesn't really exist, right? There, there's no there's no gold bars or you know silver in a safe that represents Wait, your money. What do you
0: mean? What's going on? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I mean, like this is the big. This is a the, the breakthrough stuff for people who get into this topic when they sort of read about it, they're like, wow. It's like, you're, you're, there's nothing, your money is simply numbers in a computer. I mean, it's simply a store in a database today already. Real quick on the answer, because I know you need to run to next guest is, um, uh, look, people are, are, there's a lot of folks who are saying this thing's gonna, it's gonna, you know, uh, flame out. It's, 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 it's got this kind of cool momentum for a few years, but it's got no future. Uh, look, Bitcoin's been around since early 2009 um, you know, there's 425 million people in the world who uh, have crypto. Um, that's a big proportion of the planet already. Uh, I don't think it's going away. Okay, so that, that's my first conclusion. Okay, um, I that's good to think, hear. That's
4: good to know. Yeah. I mean, that gives yeah, me some yeah.
3: relief. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the. I mean, there's 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 a lot of folks who will advocate will say that you know, in a, in a year or two, this is gone. It's, it's it was it was interesting. It was like tulips, but it's gone um the reality is that i think there's enough legs enough uh, uh bodies behind it uh, uh entities in terms of governments and regulatory agencies and nonprofits there's a, and individuals that it's got some legs to it whether it's bitcoin or ethereum who sort of uh, emerge as the long term survivor of this i don't know you know I, I always go back to the case that google was not the search en- the first search engine right 21st 24, you know it well. So he's never
0: tweeted about that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to remind
4: people first, the market doesn't necessarily mean you win. It's, it's I think just, so.
3: So yeah. when I look at Ethereum and Bitcoin, <laughs> when I try to think of your son, your child, uh, you know, what uh, he or she will, will um, be uh, perhaps using, um, it may not be Bitcoin or Ethereum. That's really just my sort of my, my conclusion there. It may be the surprise 21st. You know the equivalent crypto if you like, or the or the 30,000 that comes out <laughs> that really uh, makes things happen uh, it's a it's a space to watch for sure and, and the last surprise I had real quick is that it, it I had to keep writing sections of the book over the last year because the field was changing so rapidly yeah. both in a positive way and sometimes in a negative way.
4: That's amazing. where can we get the book? where please remind our audience where we can get the book?
3: It's a course, right now, it's an ebook and a physical book on Amazon. So it's a cryptocurrency quick start guide. Um, uh, 316 pages of everything you ever need to know about cryptocurrency in the ecosystem, NFTs, DeFi, and more. Um, and there will be a spiral bound version soon. And there will be an audio book soon, too. So awesome. all
0: available on Amazon. The That's awesome.
3: Um, I'm told it'll be in, you know, uh, normal high street bookstores all over the world within a few weeks. So wherever you buy books, you can get my book. Terrific. Looking We're
0: here. To it. Dr. Jonathan Rykentel, author of Cryptocurrency Quick Start Guide, among many other books he's famous for. You can follow him at Rykentel and of course get his new book on uh, Amazon and look for the Quick Start Guide to Cryptocurrency. So thanks a lot for being here. Thank
3: right,
4: you, right, you so guys, much. Well,
3: you're Thank also. you. Awesome. Awesome guy. <laughs>
4: Thank you so much. One of our favorite guests, I mean, he's so, sp- I first met him when he was CIO at Palo Alto. Imagine being CIO of Palo Alto. Can <laughs> like, imagine uh, the what, citizen what,
0: input? Yeah,
4: yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Rather router, well,
0: built, well, I built that. Like, what do you mean? <laughs>
4: okay, <laughs> awesome. talk, talk about incredible research, incredible thought leadership. Our next guest is Lee yes. Rainey, Director of Internet and Technology Research at Pew Research Center. Nonprofit, nonpartisan fact tank that studies the social impact of the internet. Lee's projects was described by the American uh, Sociological Association as the most authoritative source of reliable data on the use and impact of the internet and mobile connectivity. The ASA awarded Lee and the internet project its award for excellence in reporting on social issues award. The project has issued uh, more than 800 reports based on its surveys that examine people's online activities and the internet's role in their lives. All of this can be found Uh, online for free at uh, uh, pewinternet.org. Lee's co-author of Networks, the new social operating system, and sociologist Barry Wellman about the social impact of the internet, mobile phones, and social media. He's also co-author of five books. Ray, we got to step up our game. Like all the guests have written more than two X books than you and I uh, on the future of internet that are based on project (laughs) surveys about the subject. You can follow (laughs) Lee on Twitter at L-R-A- I N I E L Rainey. Welcome, uh, Lee, to
2: Disrupt TV. It's great to be here. First time caller, big fan, happy, happy Salesforce user.
4: Oh, thank cool. you so much. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So,
0: well, Lee, you wrote one of the most important pieces of research of this decade. And, and I say that for multiple reasons. Uh, we've been asking this question um, do we actually go full? Autonomous AI. Do we actually augment the machine with the human? Do we augment the human with the machine? And do we actually have human judgment? And what you do here, talking about agency, really reflects that kind of research. People want to know where it is. I wonder if I took that survey. I don't even remember. I think I might have. Um, and and the point being is that you know. These are really, really expert opinions that are out there. So talk a little about the effort, right? Even getting the question sets right. I mean, there was so much precision in the way you guys were asking the questions. I was like going through it. I was like, ooh, how would I answer that? And what led to your current study in terms of this release of the future of human agency? So I'll turn it over to you.
2: Thanks. We've um, been doing this work with Elon University in a place called the Imagining the Internet Center for 21 years. We've been interviewing experts in part because the whole idea was hatched by uh, the great science fiction writer, Bruce Sterling, who said, look, you guys at Pew do surveys. So why don't you interview experts about the future of things? Because they have a lot to say about it. So it's a, it's a line of work that we've been at for a long time. And we've increasingly been looking at the role of AI in the culture, the role of AI in people's lives and trying to get predictions about where things are going to be going in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. It's been such an interesting line of research because we've, uh, over the years, asked questions about and had good expert predictions pretty far ahead of time about the rise of mobile, about the rise of uh, cyber attacks and, and, uh, and, and the general cause concern about attacks on uh, human infrastructure. And we even one of the fun things we did, remember when Nick Carr wrote a fabulous cover story for the Atlantic Monthly, does Google make you stupid? We uh, we got Nick and and the Google folks to sort of hash it out on our pages. It was a this wonderful thing to do, and the expert community was kind of more on Google side than Nick side. Although there was tons of evidence surface that really is appropriate now to today and GPT about this can really go south in a bad way and take humans out of the picture or screw them up in the process. So that our current research is, is sort of coming out of that history of trying to stay ahead of questions and really with folks like you in mind, I mean, it, you, you're nice to say that it's sort of precise questions, but one of the luxuries of doing this work is that experts kind of know what's going on. So you can play with the question language a lot more um, in, in a fun way than you might with uh, with ordinary citizens who need to be taken by the hand through some of these issues.
4: And this is incredibly robust. We're talking 504 experts. Yes. So to, 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 to be able to capture 504 you. experts, and for the audience listening so this was the question in terms of the future of human agency the and it's a forward looking decade plus question by 2035 will smart machines bots and systems powered by ai be designed to allow humans to easily be in control of most tech aided decision making that it's relevant to their lives so 504 experts asked this question and the result like flip of a coin 56 percent of these experts agreed with the statement that by 2035 machines bots and systems will not be designed to allow humans to easily be in control and 44 percent said they were the systems will be designed to allow humans to easily be in control of the most tech aided decision making were well, you surprised of the outcome because you know it's 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 not quite flip of a coin but it, it's it's pretty much in the middle
2: I I think that's the exact right way to see it. It, These are not scientific samplings because we don't know who's exactly everybody who's an expert on on the Internet. But we have a lot of people in our database who have smart things to say. And it's interestingly consistent with a lot of things that we've done over the years where people can very well articulate the things that they hope for and the ways in which technologies can serve them well and serve societies well. But particularly in the past decade, there's been such an interesting turn, particularly in the expert um, technology, technologist community, as well as among those who are sort of critics and analysts of technology about the ways that it can go south. I mean, technologists have become inc- incredibly sort of dis- disheartened by the ways in which their precious, beautiful inventions can be exploited for misinformation, for information warfare, yeah. for Um, going after people, uh, making civic discourse almost impossible to conduct for introducing artificial agents like bots into those conversations. So it's been a striking thing to watch how technologists themselves are quite wary of the ways in which even their most precious prized inventions are potentially going to be, be misused by their users. So it's it's very much in the spirit of that, that a lot of th- these technologists will, will give you, a, on the one hand, on the other hand, kind of answers. They can very well articulate how it goes well, and they can uh, worry a lot about the things that can be uh, exploited in the systems they're building.
4: Ray and I had the privilege of a few years back speaking to Sir Tim Berners-Lee. Here's a perfect example of someone who believes the web needs to be better, and it needs to serve society in a more positive manner. And as recently as Elon Musk questioning OpenAI and ChatGPT, so, uh, you know, inventor of the web in 1993 launching the web to the world and someone who was the, you know, the main um, supporter of of a 2015 company, uh, OpenAI. It's absolutely true that uh, these inventors sometimes question whether their uh, investments and in inventions are on the right trajectory in terms of betterment of society. Go ahead, Ray. I know you have a question.
0: Oh, no, I, I thought there were some great uh, comments here. And, and I really, if, if there's some that you want to highlight from some of the experts that you thought stood out, right, because they're profound. I mean, these weren't, I mean, people gave you very substantive answers here. So,
2: so we they, we got some beautiful essays almost. They were quite extensive, you know, hundreds and hundreds of words, answers. Now I'll just call out two of them that were incredibly striking. So first was um, Paul Sappho, you know, just a long time Silicon Valley guru, teaches at Stanford now, was at the Institute for the Future Before. Yep. And he's he's sort of cynical about the way this all will break out. In one of our early surveys, he invoked the, uh, the line from a lot of uh, sci-fi writers that, in the, in the future, humans are going to be the pets of, uh, of technology. And so in keeping with that spirit, in answer to this question about the future of, uh, of human agency, he, he said, those who manage our synthetic intelligences will grant you just enough agency to keep you from noticing your captivity. Oh, Matrix. Yes. How good is that? Yeah. Uh, another great answer came from Jamee Cassio, who's currently at the Institute for the Future and just one of my favorite brilliant analysts. And he walked through sort of three segments of the population in the future um, who will be sort of focused on this question of human agency. He, he said that the largest proportion of the population will be humans who believe they are in control, but they are not. A smaller <laughs> segment will be humans who know they are not in control and they're okay with that. And then there will be a limited number of AI augmented humans who really truly are in control. In other words, they'll have the hands on the steering wheel and the, and the, you know, the systems will answer to them. And he then um, sort of projected beyond our end year of our survey, we asked you and others, Ray, you know, tell us what's gonna happen by 2035. So he went out to 2045 and he said, we're gonna get three, three possible um, you know, outcomes. First, he called No AI, No Cry, and he said that there might be such a catastrophic implementation of AI that cultures will turn against it, and there essentially won't be that many AI programs that are operative in society because the the human trust in them and the human worry about their capacities will be so great that they want to limit them at all. He, the second scenario was we'll all be watched over by machines of loving grace. You know that Richard Bronigan,, uh, lovely, lovely <laughs> thought. Oh, <That's> really? <laughs> fine, but they'll be in charge, and then finally he said we'll be under the thumb of digital dictators. So yay, what a future we're looking forward to.
4: <laughs> I just watched a podcast with Mark Andreessen where he said children will go up with AI buddies. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said they will learn to love their AI buddy because the AI buddy will know the child so well, all their preferences, all their So the the connections will always be positive and loving and caring. But children will grow with chatbots. Um, it, it was interesting. It was it was uh, it was uh, it was it was fascinating to to listen to Andreessen talk about future of. Uh, AI and of course well, it, the other you know. thing that
2: that but that is very much a part of that and it, you know that's a very uh, interesting uh, line of thought about this is is that it will um, in a sense be augmented memory. I mean, think how many things that you've forgotten from your childhoods that Absolutely. if you had a smart buddy at your side or a smart agent or another brain lobe even sort of functioning on your behalf, you could recall those transcendent moments of your childhood. And and maybe even sort of learn the lessons that you needed to learn from the harder things of your childhood. So there's a way in which you can just watch you know, the Internet story and this mobile connectivity story and the social media story all teach us that these things become normalized over time. Totally. And sure, there's a lot to worry about. Sure, there are ways to make sure that the fork in the road decisions that are made now are good ones. But you can easily sketch out a scenario like Andreessen sort of saying, done the right way, this will, be, this will be true human enhancement of the most sort of wonderful kind.
4: If we had Disrupted in 2007, and I would tell you that uh, population under 20, which is about a third of humanity right now, is I think 18 years or younger, would be watching movies, would be using this as camera, social. I mean, I, in my house, I have 75-inch screen TVs, but my three kids watch all their entertainment on this. Why? Because they're watching as a group and they're mobile. They go up and down the stairs and they're watching. They don't want to stare at a wall, even though the experience I think is 10x better, it's a bigger TV or 100x. It's amazing just in 16 years, digital native behavior is not something that me, a digital immigrant, I wasn't born mobile social cloud, would ever imagine to be, to be common or norm. So you know, questioning our dominant logic when it comes to these things, projected 20 years from now, I, I I don't think there are any experts of 20 years from now. I just, I just, it's just too.
0: It's okay, Paul. Wow. They're <laughs> going to beam it into your head. Yeah. They'll be all beamed into you. Yeah, They're yeah, true. Think about it. But when you're like, hey, I'm, remember that? Oh, boom. Hey, the reality of Black Mirror is here. <laughs> exactly.
4: So what are the questions we should be asking uh, to explore this future? Like yeah. as business leaders, as uh, one of the most famous analyst in the world, who happens to be my host. Uh, he's guiding the biggest companies in the world. How how should we be engaging with business leaders?
2: So how should they, they, they should think about human agency? Well, one of the, um, actually I'm gonna just invoke you, Ray, on this one, because your answer w- w- was reflected in one of your early comments at the beginning of the interview. Everybody's got to figure out now, and it doesn't matter if you're a technologist or if you're in manufacturing or if you're in a service industry or even a nonprofit like mine. The big questions that Ray, I'm going to, you know, it's your idea, not mine. When do we intelligently automate? And there's a different answer for each person on the on the in, on the spectrum. When do we augment the machine with a human? When do we augment the human with a machine? And when do we insert a human in the process? And and again, sort of there are everybody's got different answers for that so there's not a sort of set of bright lines that people consistently will draw about when they want to outsource their brain to the machine and when they want uh, to make sure that their preferences are known so um, one of the sort of fun things about being a researcher in this era is watching how different people apply Mm -hmm. these different sensibilities and and seeing how they're going to shape up in the future
0: yeah no i i think it's going to be interesting right and when the human touch comes into place there's a couple reasons right you're thinking about is it because you want to humanize an experience at machine scale or do you want to actually insert friction in the process so we don't have skynet right like there's there's controls in place right and so it's going to be interesting to see if like if my bot's going to manipulate your bot better like how the bots talk to other bots right (laughs) this is going to be interesting you know my bot on behalf of me
2: one of the most interesting recurrent themes through all, a variety of these surveys that we've done over the years has been um technologists being very frustrated with two big elements of society that really haven't uh, uh, adopted technology the way that was the early predictors might have predicted and it's healthcare and education and mm-hmm. there're plenty of innovations happening in those spaces there are plenty of ways ai is going to be applied to those spaces but by and large as institutions they are slow off the mark. and the, the the original vision of technologists has not been close to being realized because we're the, the institutional resistance is is very, very strong. And I agree and that's just to the point that you were making that um, you know, different institutions have different adoption rates. They are led by different kinds of people. They have different backgrounds and and sort of norms. And all of that is in play when you think about big questions like, who's in charge uh, at the end of the day when you're making a decision about taking care of your family or your health your healthcare care or goodness knows how to form an opinion about politics. It's amazing, it's an
0: amazing survey. I mean, it's such insights. I have been reading your surveys for so long. I can't even remember. How do you decide what is a good survey to put up there? Like, what's the next big topic that you're actually recruiting respondents for?
2: We we sort of watch the cultural conversation, particularly in the in the tech community. So I'm just omnivorous reader of all your stuff and everybody else's stuff, and we 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 try to sort of keep it at a level where where there you know when we write this up in a in a way that uh, you know ordinary folks can understand the questions we're asking, but we're we're constantly looking at the edge. We're constantly thinking of the big human and social implications of things. Uh, we did stuff on the future of trust and the virtue of truth about a decade ago, pre-Trump, and uh, God knows how that played out. And so um, the next stuff that we're going to be looking at will uh, sort of deepen our questions about um, the way technology itself will evolve. What, how does people are sorting out where it's going to um, work for the good and where it's going to work, maybe at odds with what human aspirations are. So we'll be getting a lot more into this kind of stuff uh, in a deeper way. You
0: know my more? final sorry, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
2: My, my,
4: my final question is uh, I'm interested to know where you stand on the question. Uh, five hundred and four people weighed in, so I'm, I'm wondering if they were able to influence your your position. and 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 a follow up to that in terms of where you stand, should companies of all sizes uh, have an ethical and human use of software uh, leader? To make sure that we're designing features and functionality and products that um, can that can ultimately help uh, betterment of society, or, or so that you don't get to a scenario where uh, one of the experts said people are going to rebel against AI because of a major, you know, misconnect.
2: Um, so, is a firing a friend at Pew? So, uh, to <laughs> to state my own opinion, but I'm going to say that after reading these these 500 plus answers. Uh, Look, it's it's very convincing. There was convergence, even in people who think the answer is maybe yes, things will go well, or no, things won't go well. In there's going to be a sort of big sort taking out where certain functions of life are really better left in machine hands than human hands. They can process more stuff. They can bring more intelligence to bear. They're kind of rote activities, and who wouldn't want to have the convenience of that? And there are other things that are so fundamental to identity to community, to society, and to life outcomes, you know, your own health, your own knowledge and things like that, yeah. that, that, that humans will insist on being in charge and will insert systems in place to put humans in the loop. So, you know, exactly that. There will there will be ways in which organizations themselves have a, a function and a representative who's supposed to do the red team job. How's this gonna go bad? Or let's make sure we don't let something out into the wild that's going to go crazy and there there will also be probably government systems and regulations that you know there's a, some talk about like an FDA for algorithms you know you don't let it out okay. in the wild until it's been the tires have been kicked and there's a review process and things like that so there, there there's an interesting set of conversations all around in government regulation on these issues too
4: I like that. and chat gpt was amongst the 44% i'm guessing yeah answering the it was okay no. Oh, was it? okay.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe one of you know, the respondents actually, was a Chat GPT. He doesn't know.
2: <laughs> we, uh, we actually asked Chat GPT our question, and it has a, a sort of nice, credible, smart answer that basically says. You humans have nothing to worry about. You'll stand. That's what I doctor thought. Doctor. Yeah,
4: yeah. That's what I, I believe. Forty-four percent said that humans will have control. No, no, no. And, I th- and
0: I thought that was the response from ChatGPT. Actually, it would be funnier is like ChatGPT post survey. Now that it has access to the survey data, what it says versus what it said before. And then Lee discovered that at the Pew Research Center, seven the responses cheated because the answers were all the same. They all were the ChatGPT <laughs>
2: answers.
0: But that didn't happen. We just want to make sure everybody knows it. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Really, quality and control in the future is going to be a, a, a bigger chore for totally. people like us. T- yeah. for,
4: and you mentioned education. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sure professors, educators are now have another dimension that they have to struggle in terms of where did this, where did this response or report or analysis come from? Absolutely.
0: Do. We're here with the amazing Lee Rainey, director, internet and technology research at Pew Research Center, one of the most foremost authorities of what's happening, a future think center. That's pretty cool. Twitter. Please, at, please come back. Please yes. come back. You were Twitter great. at L yeah. Rainey. We got to have you back on. So, and just really check out the report at pewresearch.org. Uh, it's there on the future of human agency. So thanks
4: a lot. Thank, Thank you, sir. You. You're terrific. Wow. Wow. That's
0: you know, <laughs> mind blowing but but,
4: but but the research i mean I, you and i have been following pew for decades i mean cloud adoption mobile social all of the big big technological trends defining future of work and speaking of future of work we're going to end with, this is our cleanup hitter spot where somebody comes in mm-hmm. and hits a grand slam and just brings it all home it's our privilege to have dr Gabriella Rosen Kellerman chief product officer of better up and co-author of tomorrow Mind Uh, uh, Dr. Kellerman has served as Chief Product Officer, Chief Innovation Officer at BetterUp, Head of BetterUp Labs, uh, Founding CEO of Lifelink, and an Advisor to Healthcare Coaching and Behavior Change Technology companies. Trained in psychiatry and fMRI research, Dr. Kellerman holds an MD with honors from Mount Sinai School of Medicine and a BA summa cum laude from Harvard University. Dr. Kellerman's work has been published, just like you Ray, in Atlantic, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Again, I have impossible well, when I have I'm, guests I'm, I'm, like this on the show. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kellerman is co author of a new book, Tomorrow Mind Thriving at Work, uh, Now and in an Uncertain Future. What an amazing timing for this book. Uh, welcome, uh, Gabriella, to the Shrub TV.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity.
0: We're super excited having you, but how did you team up with Dr. Seligman together to write this book, to think about where that future might be? Were you locked up in the middle of COVID when you did this, or it was like way before uh, that this actually occurred?
1: Yeah, I feel so privileged to get to work with Marty Seligman, founder of Positive Psychology, probably the world's uh, greatest known living psychologist. And in 2017, we came together to study the ways that employees are struggling to thrive at work in this very unusual world of work we live in. We've both devoted our careers to helping improve population well-being. Mm. Um, and uh, and so we've been doing research together under the umbrella of BetterUp Labs, which I was privileged to get to start in 2017 at the request of our founder, CEO, Alexei Robichaud. Um, and uh, it's been a, a tremendous journey of tons of research since uh, that we wanted to capture in broad strokes for the full perspective for a general audience.
4: As you can imagine, on our show, starting probably around March of 2020, when we were most of us were affected in terms of uh, work policy, uh, in my case, a note that says you can't come to work, and that lasted for about two years. Uh, we've had a lot of incredible thought leaders talk about um, work policy, future of work, and, and how it's changed us. Uh, based on your research, your book, can you tell us your thoughts in terms of how this, you know changed, uh, the pandemic changed us and uh, some of the permanent changes we'll see moving forward?
1: Yeah, so it, our book starts from the premise that the only world of work that we are naturally at home in is hunting and gathering, you know, something like 95% of the existence of the human brain happened in that forum and that's where the vast majority of the evolution of our hard our neural hardware came from and now we're trying to apply that same machinery to this vastly different world of work. Things like change which are such a prominent feature of work today, constant disruptive, uncertain, complex change. Uh, For the hunter-gatherer, change was likely sudden and a threat. That's why the responses we have are fight or flight. It's not fight, flight, or maybe celebrate because maybe it's a good thing. (laughs) A predator was not going to be a good thing. Um, And so we have to take that hardwired approach to change and adapt it to the world of work today. Now, the flip side and the hopeful message that we are contributing among others is that in this environment, we get to return to some of those beautiful native, deeply human capacities of the hunter gatherer, things like creativity, Things like prospection, thinking about the future, these are things that weren't a core labor skill in the industrial era and now, once again, we get to reconnect with them and we are all creative, we all have the capacity for foresight as well, so how do we build those up along with some other skills to make sure we can still thrive in this environment?
0: Yeah, no, this is great. And, and, you know, when you think about this, right, I mean, we're all a little bit, I mean, we just went through, you know, Lee Rainey's Pew, you know, guide on the future of, you know, human agency. Like, we're all a little bit anxious about the future and our, our brains are, you know, have, have they... Are they ready for the future? Like, how do we actually, you know, is it a neuroplasticity issue? Is it like training issue? Are we not getting the light type of like, you know, environmental experiences? Like, what would do that? Or do I just plug myself in the metaverse? Here's my future module that I get better, you you know? Wow, you had to talk about Metaverse. We haven't been able to talk about that for a year. Um, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you, but, on, but a, on a serious but level, jo- like-
4: You joke about Metaverse, but we've had uh, the top uh, leader at Accenture, Paul Darty, who manages about 400,000 people at Accenture. He talked about Accenture onboarding 150,000 new employees in their Metaverse. Yeah. So this immersive experience of getting you familiar with your work environment and your stakeholders and the jobs to be done is being done virtually. So, I mean, it, we joke about it, but it's happening. I mean, it's really happening. Yeah,
0: yeah yeah no, and and have our brains evolved for this environment to to be able to support the future because like it seems like so much is coming at us so quickly
1: yeah so so the bad news is that's pretty it's pretty unnatural, hard to think of anything more unnatural than the metaverse, right, <laughs> and at the Darn. same time. <laughs> Um, we have a tremendous capability for growth and change and adaptability. So, think about the hunter gatherer we're really at nature's whim, we had to get resources where we could find it and then move on to a new environment when we couldn't and adapt to brand new environments. It wasn't at the pace that we're doing today or with the unpredictability, you know, it wasn't like the environment the trees suddenly floating or you know, yeah. sprouting magical berries, but we did have to adapt and uh, we today have at our disposal behavioral science, so knowledge of the mind itself, knowledge of how to build these skills, that to us is the major historic advantage we have over previous generations of humans going through a labor transformation, that we have a user's manual or at least a really solid beginning of a user's manual to our own brains, which is where that change has to happen.
4: Uh, A part that I found interesting is that your research found that uh, meaning and mattering is super important, so much so that 90 percent of people are willing to earn less uh, if they have more meaningful work. Can you define for us um, what is meaning and mattering? What is it? How how do you define that for?
1: um, Yeah. So so. so, um... Meaningful work can be defined as work that gives us a sense of purpose, a sense of significance, a sense of cohesion with the universe and, and a broader reason to be here. Mattering is our the construct we use more in the U.S. Surgeon General recently kind of stood with us in that, in saying that mattering is an essential component of workplace well-being. And it's a very basic fundamental level of it matters that I wake up in the morning. It matters that I go about my day and do my work, you know, whatever that might be. If we can't provide that to people, then we are really doing something wrong. In our view, it's a huge part of what modern management entails. You need to be able to explain to your employees why their work matters, even... And especially when you are asking them to stop doing one thing and start doing something else, you need to be able to explain why did it matter that I just spent three months doing project A and all of a sudden I'm going on to project B. That's a huge source of disengagement, um, of resentment that comes up for employees in the workplace. And it makes perfect sense through the lens of mattering.
4: Can I follow up, Ray, with a follow up question? Because I suspect three of us this year, so just in the last, few weeks, several weeks, know of exceptional people that lost their jobs, especially if you're in the tech sector. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands have lost their jobs since January, and I'm talking exceptional people where we can't even imagine performance being an issue because the size of the reductions has impacted folks. How do you not crush the soul of that person when mattering, when they were doing A plus work? Delivering and exceeding expectations and they got that notification that they're no longer part of the company. How do you recover from that devastating, mattering news that, 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 you know.
1: I'm so glad you asked. And this is why we actually started the book with a really, uh, extraordinary layoff story of someone who was laid off under very humiliating circumstances for something that had very little to do with them. And they have gone on to have a, a tremendous career beyond that. Um, I love that you started with, you know, peak performer, high performer, you can get laid off. It doesn't have to be related to your performance. And through that lens, if we lean there even further and we think about what is coming, the uh, ups and downs in the economy that will come over the rest of our careers, the global events, we have no control over industry disruption overnight, we are all at risk of layoffs at some or multiple times throughout the course of our career. We will all probably have to creatively reinvent ourselves over the course of our career many times over. And so it's not actually in our view about getting through any one of these chapters. It's about knowing that there's not just a tree but a forest of change ahead of us. And we need the skills to navigate that entire forest Resilience is one of the big ones in this, meaning, purpose, mattering. We need to have that intrinsic motivation to fuel the hard work of building these skills that we're talking about.
0: I love, we would that, be I love that
1: answer. Wow. That we was We would awesome.
0: be remiss if we did not ask about PRISM right? And you're touching on some of those concepts in PRISM. And uh, I think that's very important for a lot of folks. And and Bala, you're so right. I mean, a lot of great high-performing people are seeking and trying to understand what's going to happen next. And and I think this is a book for them. But uh, uh, tell tell us more about PRISM.
1: Yeah. So we have studied data from hundreds of thousands of workers across all industries as they are looking for themselves, of course, to succeed in work to grow as humans, to grow as professionals. We've looked at outcomes for them, we've looked at outcomes for their teams, and we've looked at outcomes for their organizations based on the skills they have, based on the skills they develop over time. And we've come up with five key skills that we need to thrive in the so-called future of work, summarized by the acronym PRISM. P is for prospection or foresight, which is our about ability to imagine and plan for the future. in uh, As a nod to the previous guest, it, it restores agency, helps us feel empowered in an era of constant change. Ours for resilience, our ability to bounce back from change, or even the people who are best at resilience grow stronger through challenge. And can you imagine what that would open up for you your team your organization if each time you saw one of those these defining moments you got stronger because of it i is innovation and creativity increasingly essential in a world where tasks are automated that are more rote less creative and where change is hitting us constantly we need to respond in an innovative way at the edges of the business s is social connection And we specifically focus on rapid rapport. How do we quickly build trust and connection with one another and with our customers across difference? There is great science that can help us in this, but it is not a small task. And then the M is for what we just talked about, which is mattering. That's fantastic.
4: So one of them speaks to me, all of them speak to me, but I started my career as an engineer, you know, in a cube, just writing code. And then, and then I got involved with customer service and support. And then I became an accidental CMO. It was until I was in charge of marketing where people would refer to me as a creative. And I thought, hey, I was pretty creative when I was an engineer. And I was really creative when I was trying to build relationships and customer service and support. So in, you, you're talking, you write in your book that create being creative is not just as you know a silo uh, 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 set, of, set of skills that 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 should be appreciated all of us can be creative can you talk about how you can Build that creativity muscle, not just in marketing, but all lines of business and throughout your company?
1: Yeah, I love the question. We all have this ability to be creative. We all have that same capability in our brain. It's not a unique province some people are born with or not. We can build it. We can cultivate it. In our era, and this is a legacy from the Industrial Revolution, We believe that only certain people had to be creative. So Marty and I like to say that only homo sapiens could have invented the cotton gin, but a Neanderthal almost certainly could have operated it, right? And we got into this era where we didn't need the creativity anymore to do the job of just operating the machine, um, when I was growing up, and I hope it's not this way in schools anymore, there were kids in the class who were designated the artists, the creative ones. Wow. The rest of us sort of fell into this path of, you know, we're, we're good at stuff, but we're not necessarily creative. And it's so misplaced because, to your point, um, there's creativity manifests in small ways and big and ways of process improvement or improvements in customer service are a huge realm for creativity today Um, because of that pace of change. We really need everyone at the edges of the business to be responding in an innovative fashion. We can't wait for the CEO to come up with a great new idea of how we're gonna move forward. We need to come up with it on our own and our CEO, the best CEOs know this and want their people to be responding in an innovative fashion, which is very different from how we historically thought about kind of a command and control structure. Totally,
4: totally. I work for one of the, I consider one of the most creative CEOs in the world. So it's, it's uh, and, and he's not only celebrates, but promotes creativity at all levels. Go ahead, Ray, you have a question.
0: Vala's being modest. He's from from double E major to master's to engineer to the guy who redid a brand for a major tech company. Dude, you're pretty creative.
4: <laughs> I on on social media, I, I, that, that was the first. That was the first publicly traded uh, company to rebrand using uh, crowdsourcing and we and ended it was up winning the, the and cars. the prize
0: was a Tesla I think, if i remember and a prize was
4: a Tesla yeah Actually, but if again you got, if you, it was until my becoming a CMO or so, i you know somebody said oh this guy's creative and i thought i was pretty creative all
0: along but anyway anyway
1: <laughs> but but back that's to the that, really that's important. a tomorrow mind that's a tomorrow
0: yeah. that's right that's, oh it's I, love that. mind. I love that's a tomorrow mind but a um, tomorrow mind can't function without sleep. And you talk about sleep hygiene mm-hmm. and you have clinical experience in that as well as a clinician. Tell us more about how those things come together because I'm operating on four and a half hours of sleep every day. Am, I'm, am I going to be out of a tomorrow mind?
1: <laughs> okay, well, there are- I don't face yet,
0: pretty ears. I'm not a
1: sleep expert, but there are people who can operate on a very small yeah. number of, uh, of hours of sleep. That may be a genetic gift of yours, Ray. I don't know. Thank you,
0: Mom. Thank you, Mom. He has <laughs> the best hair in the industry, so, you know.
1: To, lots yeah. of genetic gifts that you have, yeah. Ray. Um, the rest of us really can't do that, though. And in no. general, a big part of the awakening of the approach to talent and performance today is understanding that well-being is essential for performance they're inextricably linked. It's all happening in the same brain. If that brain is not uh, on a good night's sleep and, you know, not yeah. being well-fed and nourished, then how could you possibly expect us to perform well at work, let alone emotional and mental health struggles and how those impact our workplace performance? Uh, really my, good points. My final question,
4: you know, when you serve as a mentor or a sponsor, uh, you know, you have folks at your company that look up to you as an incredibly successful executive, a, a best-selling author. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, what, what, what's the process when you are sponsoring young talent, h- helping them, you know, turbocharge their career and helping them adopt the tomorrow mindset? Are there any advice you can give for others who are sponsoring, uh, and specifically young talent uh, within their companies?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that part of the shift we're hoping to herald with the book is from focusing on any type of skills that will expire to shifting the energy to nurturing, celebrating, drawing attention to these enduring human skills, these meta skills, things like resilience, um, which is composed of emotional regulation, cognitive agility, things like mattering, things like innovation, prospection. As mentors, we have tremendous uh, influence over where people spend their time and what they see as essential. I will say on creativity in particular, that's an area where mentors can really change someone's self-conception and help them transform from someone who does not identify as a creative to someone who really firmly understands their own creative value. And when they do, they build up what's called creative self-efficacy and it yields Mm -hmm. richer creative output. So by building up that creative self-confidence, that correlates with a richer output, which is sort of the gift that keeps on giving.
0: Wow. <laughs> it's a virtuous cycle at that You're point. You're dropping nice.
1: wisdom nuggets. Oh my God. I'm going to have to watch the
4: show on Saturday and Sunday. That was awesome. That was, we're going to come back cool. to read this book. I mean, we <laughs> yeah, depth.
0: So we're yeah. here with Dr. Gabriela Rosen-Kellerman, chief product officer at Better App and co-author of Tomorrow Mind. I hope you guys all have Tomorrow Minds. You can pick up the book. It's available on Amazon and also where books are sold. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you both.
4: You're awesome. Thank you. That was great.
0: This is great. It is great. So, my wow, mom, we've got our guests in the green room. We're going to catch up with them afterwards. But hey, meanwhile,
4: <laughs> Just, you know, I, I, the problem is that we could have we could have had the entire hour with each one of the guests. Um, yeah. I I've got so many uh, thoughts that I need to, to revisit. We should have life. like
0: a Disrupt TV Salon series where we go to different cities, we bring the authors together, they get a chance to share their books, their thoughts. It's kind of a talk and, and we go on the road and we do that. It'd be kind of fun.
4: I, I just think that, you know, when you're talking about whether it's cryptocurrency or impact of AI and smart digital systems impacting human agency too, you know, how do you prepare yourself to be mentally, spiritually, physically fit for these uncertain times and Tomorrow Mind is a, a, a fantastic blueprint of how you can, it's just they're big topics. Anyway, anyway, uh, Ray, uh, please summarize the last hour for us in in, uh, in one minute,
0: please. Welcome to the stump the chump <laughs> moment here. Um... <laughs> <laughs> It's like car talk, man. I think we're going to actually have to reinvent car talk with tech talk or something. But welcome. But no. But here, here's the main thing, right? We spent three t- big meaty topics. Uh, spent time talking about the future, right? Uh, what currency? What money? What that's going to look like, and and that that really is a big topic, right? Because where we see money today in the digital future is going to be interesting. I didn't get a chance to act, Dr. Reichenthal, but but what happens when we get rid of cash? Do we lose our anonymity, right? Like what what does that mean when we move from the physical to the digital world? What stays, right? And then getting into more digital, right? Lee was great talking about where agency is. And and the Pew Research Center does amazing research trying to help us understand these are the societal questions we're gonna have to ask. They're gonna implement, this is gonna affect tech policy. It's gonna affect the way we kind of think about work. Do we unionize the robots? Does my robot compete against your robot? Um, Will we have real Olympic games where no one's augmented and will we have mind games that are not augmented or will there be little subtitles that say, done by a human. And you're like, oh, yeah, done by a human. How how sad, how quaint, right? I mean, it's going to be things like that. And then more importantly, right, the last piece was really, are we ready for this mental stage for all this uh, all this, you know, stimulus, and are we ready for all this digitization that's going to happen from the automation to how we interact with folks, right? Are we ready for that? And and I think you know we're gonna have a lot of work to do as humans to be human and to understand what humanity is. And, and I think this book is gonna help with that, along with helping people understand what their fit is in terms of their purpose, their mission, and where they fit in this uh, new digital world. All these yeah. things are changing so fast, but of course you can always catch it here at Disrupt TV. So.
4: Wow. Great summary. Great. I, I, the, the the PRISM framework is brilliant. I love that last piece.
0: Yep. Dr.
4: Ke- yep. Dr. Ke- Dr. Kellerman talking about investing skills that don't expire. So important, so important. This is why I think the soft skills are the hard skills. And we've got Tom Peters on the show tell us that and remind us of that. Okay, next week, episode 314, Rajul Zapparati, CEO of FinTech, Unicorn Zip. Who is uh, Christine Tao, co-founder and CEO of Sounding Board. And Sally, uh Hal, guess an author of Rising Together. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for recommending guests you want to see on Disrupt. Again, we're about 150 slots a year. So we take, you know, we try to be very deliberate on who we have on the show. So keep feeding us uh your recommendations on guests, and we'll do our best to bring them on the show. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Cheers.